Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. Indeed you are. And today we're going to talk about hippie versus hipster, or they pave paradise and they put up a Starbucks. So anyway, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't know what this has to do with sustainability per se. Oh, I think it has a lot to do yeah, with sustainability. Except, except I'm finding it very annoying and I wanted to talk about it. So <laughs> that well, was Well, actually, actually, I think I have been finding it annoying for quite a while because since uh, 1996, when we started building the Earthship uh, here at Blue Rock Station, repeatedly, it's like almost anybody who came to look at what we were doing, people who came to the open house, people who worked for me, you know, during the build, they would say, oh, you're a hippie, or let's go see that hippie chick's uh, building. And I resented it. I, you know, I would say, look, we have an architect. We, we have a plan. I'm an executive, you know, right, I, I don't seem to fit this mold. Yeah. Well, we've, we've had these discussions. I think you have a sense of what a hippie is. Well, I live through it. So I have I an well, idea. Yeah, I know. But your sense of what it is and my sense of what it is are, are slightly different. And, and I think that's probably true if there are 330 million people in the United States, there are 330 million different ideas of what it is to be a hippie, what it I, is to I'm be a hipster. I'm not sure of that. I think the media has been doing quite a, quite a uh, hip, hippie wash. Hippie wash, yeah. Well, <laughs> well and let me, get, let me de delve deeply into this because there are some similarities. There's, uh, you know, what, what sort of brought this on? We have a lot of interns here at Blue Rock Station and they're all in their 20-somethings. And when you're in your 20-somethings, you're the center of the universe and you think everything revolves around you. Everything's brand new. Every idea you've just had is the most amazing and innovative and unique idea that, that that's you're ever not been. You're not describing most of the interns. I'm describing, I'm describing me. So. Okay, that <laughs> might well be. <laughs> right. You know, so, so that's kind of, we, let's start. Let's just all assume 20-something-year-old people are pretty self-centered. I mean, people in general are pretty self -centered. Well, it is the me generation, I think, because yeah. look at selfies, look at social media, everything's about showing the best side of who you are and what you're doing. Um, you know, everybody has an amazing family and they're talented and, yeah. uh, you know, which is not true. And, but boy, the pictures say it. Well, and one thing that I've noticed, and a lot of our interns very much romanticize the time of the hippie. You That's know, true. they look back at this, you know, 1960s, um, which, which I always like to tell them the 60s actually happened in the 70s when they're talking about that kind That's of true. situation. But um, they look at that and they say, you know, that was an exciting time. It was a time of change. The music was amazing. That's the, true. The social movements were amazing. <laughs> That's the true. sense of community was amazing. And, and they have romanticized that to the point that it does not reflect anything about how I remember it. Um, for the most part, I remember it being very scary, um, being scary, disruptive, frightening, and spiraling out of control. You know, that's well, that you was must my not have been doing very many of the drugs the others were doing. I, you know, you you see these things going on, and and that's kind of where I was I was going to start. I was going to 
sort of recap the the hippie movement according to Blue Rock Station, right? That's that's my first step. Are there a lot of people dying in this version? Because no, no, no. There were a lot of people dying. I know, but there's always a lot drugs, of drugs, HIV, assassination. Okay, you're getting into the 1970s hippies. Uh, where are you going? 60s, okay. 1960s hippies, and. And basically, my perception of this was it was indeed a cultural revolution that was in reaction to a lot of really negative things in the world. You had the Korean War, which was a disaster. You had the Cold War, which was a disaster. Um, you know, things like Sputnik, where, we, where you see these scientific discoveries out there and America's losing. You see um, the Cuban Revolution. There was the Hungarian revolt, a lot of these things happening within the media. At the same time, there was this unbridled consumerism, you know, the, the heart of American. Yeah, we got to be modern. Yeah, the white male exceptionalism, you know. But I do want to say that I think that it started before this with the beatniks, with, with nuclear well, power and nuclear bombs. And, yeah. And so I think there, this all of this, even today, is rooted in... The idea that beatniks were, they all thought we're all going to die, which we are, everybody is. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they're going to do these coffee house protests and everybody's going to get up and sing, sing how we're going to die and have poems and snap their Click fingers. Their fingers and yes, yes, wear yes. little black little berets. And, sure. and I think it always rooted in that and well, then it I, sort of amplified. Yeah, yeah, that was sort of the first step, but it, it, it was the result of this sense of alienation. You know, teenagers are alienated anyway, um, you know, but then these... Yeah, but we're going to die. That these was folks the had reason to be yeah. alienated. I mean, yeah. really valid reasons. So, so in my perception of this, the beatniks, then, of course, the early hippies um, were uh, almost like modern art, almost like cubism. You know, if you think about this, I have seen the conventions of this thing I'm supposed to inhabit. I reject them, and I am going to try and create something new. Yeah, well, some of that happened. Women didn't wear bras. People started living together and having okay, sex. but that's, that's... They weren't married. I think people were doing that before. No, but this was out <laughs> in the open yeah. that women were, you know, blatantly saying we want the right to control right. of our bodies. This was not something you ever talked okay, about. Okay, but those were the external things that you could see that were the direct result of saying, whatever it is that you have in this society, I reject it. I reject it totally. And I am no longer going to conform to these norms that you are setting upon me. That was kind of the underlying basis. It's like, what are you protesting? I don't know. What do you got? You know, that thing from the movie. It was in everything. It was this sense of, I reject your consumerism. I reject your morals. I reject you know, your conventions, your institutions. That was kind of the basis. And then it began to manifest itself in different ways. But then the ways it manifested itself became the thing. Well, I think, too, we can see a huge influence today from what some one of the things that came out of that movement was the back to landers. Mm -hmm. And I was definitely a part of that, although it wasn't willingly at first, um, but it influenced my life. I wouldn't be where I am today. And so a lot of people wanted to live together, that communal kind of thing. And so then they had to eat and they didn't really want to work and they were stoned a lot. So uh, 
they, they holding down a job is kind of tough. So they went off and they squatted in buildings and on land. And this happened across the world, really, where young people said, we're not going to put up with this anymore. And one group that we really found to be amazing was the group that in Scotland that um, squatted in a slate mine. And today it's a thriving, um, sustainable practice uh, place that people come from all over the world to learn about resiliency and sustainability. So I think there's a lot of things that were good that came out of this time period. Um, I think we are stalled out with a lot of things like women's rights that stalled out in the early 70s and it hasn't moved forward since then. In fact, it's gone backwards. Um, so I, but I think that the 70s represent a huge shift in all facets of the systems in this country because they there's this need to hang on to that power and um, and there was a lot of protesting and people didn't back down and they got killed fighting all right, against all right, things. All right, all right, you're taking this and running with it. I want to stay back in the 60s here. I am. No, no, no. You went into the 70s and uh, and maybe into the 80s. Okay, I think there was protests <laughs> in the 60s. No, no, I know. There I know. was definitely. I know, but anyway, people dying. Let's focus on the idea, the sustainable part, right? The sustainable part was the, the the back of the landers. Let's talk about that. Saying your system, I reject it. Now, how can we create? How can we recreate or create a new um, a society? And and so we're moving into the seventies now. No, no, no. This is still the sixties. The back to the lander thing, and so so you begin to see experimentations. Eastern philosophy, um, you know, communal living, all of these things were an attempt to create a society that rejected what they saw as a consumerism, as a shallow society, and, and was seeking to be sustainable. Okay, that's one point, and I agree. Some very positive things. Then they began, you know, it began in this movement, once you start a revolution, revolutions tend to spin out in, in many directions, there was definitely an equal rights aspect of it. How come uh, minorities continue to be repressed? How come women continue to be repressed? And there was a pushing back against that, which has never been completed. But then the next step I want to say is, in my estimation, in the 70s, many of these things then became co-opted which tends to be the way that corporate America responds to large megatrends is to say, look at all of the money we can make from this stuff, you know? And, and so you begin to see this, um, you know, laugh in the monkeys. Uh, I remember my older brothers who were anything but hippies you know, wearing... Are we still in the 60s? No, no, we're into the 70s. And they were wearing turtlenecks with peace signs and... This is... But just let me say, that is not... That's the... So, okay, go ahead. You have your version. I know. No, go ahead. I, I, we're, I'm just saying that the ways that were manifested, the things that, that became the symbols of rebellion, gradually began to be co-opted. And, and become 
corporatized. It just reminds me a little bit of back when rap was was becoming a thing. And then all of a sudden you see these middle-aged, overweight white guys selling used cars trying to do rap on television. It, it's like as soon as that happens, you know it's over. You know, the the everything is is kind of spinning out of control to where it becomes nonsense again. So I think one of the things that happened that created some of this moving into being more conventional um, coming out of the, the 60s is the fact that at the end of the 60s, lots of people were killed. People who were famous, people who were, who were symbols of you know, trying to fight back against racism. Um, even Robert Kennedy, who said and did many things um, to stand up about racism, and I'm not saying he was great or anything, but so all these people were being killed. And I think, at least for me, graduating from high school in 1969, um, there was this sense of real terror. I remember uh, when Kennedy got shot, that was kind of like the end of these this series of people. And Eisenhower, who'd been president of the United States, died around that same time. And it just felt like all these people were dying. And then there were all these soldiers on college campuses, you know, shooting kids and macing kids. And so there wasn't any place to be that felt safe. Right. I would say that's where things begin to spin out of control. Yeah, yeah. Because people are people, right? And if you create, you know, you might have started out saying, listen, this is going to be this wonderful, we're looking for nirvana. We're looking to recreate society in this peace, love, and happiness thing. But then folks come in with their anger and their own agendas. And as you say, I remember as a kid, it just felt like people were being assassinated. There were protests. Uh, the Vietnam War kind of, uh, you know, was like dropping a nuclear bomb into all of this because literally you could die. You know? Well, these were also, these were our brothers and our, and our sons who were, and our sisters and our daughters who were going off to Vietnam. And they weren't going because they necessarily wanted to. They were conscripted. They were forced in by a lottery. And so there was a whole lot of systems that were forcing people when we didn't want to be forced. And so to me, I think it didn't, for me, I think it felt like when the Beatles changed their music from what they had originally to when they got more, uh, you know, India kind of thing. And I just remember thinking, wow, something's really shifted in the world. Okay, with that ship, I'm going to remind everybody you're listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke. Reminding you it is and was the end of the world as we know it. And thank God. All right. So on the Beatles, as they go from I Want to Hold Your Hand to uh, number nine. Hare number Krishna. Nine, or, yeah, yeah. Hare um, Krishna. Hare, Hare Krishna. Yeah. And, and I, of course, that, that was sort of a, a cultural manifestation. So, so, okay, I think we're agreed. Starts out as something <laughs> saying, you know, it's almost like every revolution, you know, I want to change the system, but then it just spun out of control. Now, the, the first problem is you can't change the system. It's not broken. It right. works just the way it's supposed to. Okay. So, so um, there was a lot of, a, a lot of manifestations of this that now in today's youth culture, and we'll call it the hipster culture. Although what's interesting is people at the time, like to be identified as hippies. Today, nobody likes to be identified as a hipster, even 
even when they're but what clearly, is a hipster? Okay, well, I'll get into that in a second. But but they um, this hippie mindset, uh, this hippie manifestation is is being idealized. So let's just let's agree that the the stereotype that's given by today's youth, at least the ones that talk to us, is nothing like what was real in that moment. It's a caricature of it. Well, I think that that? happens a lot in history, but I I do want to say that I think there are a lot of people, at least that I have met, that attend these current versions of music festivals that do identify as hippie, and they feel really proud that they're hippies, whatever that means. Okay, well, let's talk about the commonalities between the hipster and the hippie, all right? One is it's largely a white, middle-class, privileged... The hippie. uh, Both, the hipster and the hippie. Okay. These are mostly young, white, privileged, self-absorbed, middle-class people, and they got good music and love to party. Does that sound fair? I don't know if they have good music or not. Well, I'm going to assume it's good. So, some of it that's more folksy I really like, but some of it I, I find to be noise. Okay, well, that's just because you're telling them to get off your lawn. You know, so this, is, this music is not for us. <laughs> Let's just say. No, there's a lot of it I really, really like. Uh-huh. Okay, so, so I think... Um, my perceptive and my perception of of the hipster thing and and I know I'm going to get myself into all sorts of trouble with this but with whom uh who cares okay. who do you got um <laughs> because it is all about conformity you oh, know yeah, yeah. the hippie the hippie movement was at the beginning about nonconformity i think it evolved into a conformity thing and and I'll I'll put out as my piece of evidence the Crosby, Stills, Nash song, I Almost Cut My Hair, you know? And I, I thought that was a very interesting song when it came out. And the whole lyrics of it is, I, I almost cut my hair, but I felt like, but I didn't because I felt like I needed to let my freak flag fly. And I felt like I owed it to somebody. Now, so the whole There's idea- it, the I owed it to somebody. Yeah. You know, that is the prevailing message of this culture from the beginning of this culture. Well, the, absolutely the driving force. Well, and, and the hipster thing is how you wear, what you wear, how you dress, how you look, who you like, that is your identity. That's your tribal identity, who you've liked on Facebook. Who so you, you have follow. to wear one of those goofy hats. And... Yeah, one of those pork pie hats. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, to me, that's just, that's oh, just we're, ready for we're a dope so slap. being so old. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, so this is, and, and the other thing which got me kind of in this mindset here is I think the hipsters pride themselves um, on being non-judgmental, yet they are the most judgmental oh, group <laughs> I have each ever other. seen. And I'm being very judgmental in this, but but everything's about judging in, in this society. Everything. How how many likes did you get? How many followers did you get? You know who was. Um, well, it's Cancel. competition. It's absolute competition that comes out of capitalism. I mean, everything has to be rated. And, but the thing that I don't understand is um, I don't really – what does a hipster look like? Because, <laughs> because I thought when people would say hipster, I thought – and again, I haven't delved into it because I don't frankly care um, – is that it somehow – really came out of race so like rap music and um all the kinds of dancing and things that they do these are not white people's 
things that they're white people imitating. Well, it's it's very much, and to use the terminology of the day, uh, it's cultural appropriation. But as you're appropriating that culture, you have to be very, very judgmental of anyone who appropriates culture. So I'm appropriating it or the hipsters. The hipsters are for sure. I mean, everybody does. We are, we are an amalgam of multiple cultures, but, but this is that kind of judgmental thing of you have not got the proper thought processes that I have deemed that you should have. Therefore I'm going to judge you and I'm going to cancel you. Yet it is the very fact that you are being judgmental that I am going to judge against which is very bizarre circular argument. But to give you my impression of what a hipster is, okay, if I had to draw a picture of a, of a hipster, first off, it would look like a stick drawing, but it would, but, <laughs> but they... But that's the way you draw everybody, so there's I, no prejudice I in know, that. I know, I know, but I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about, like, for, for the male, they've got a man bun, oh my God, um, and shaved sides oh, of their heads, Jay. and they've got the skinny jeans, and, and they've got this kind of... <laughs> Now, maybe a vest thing on or whatever. It's this weird kind of, and you just, and they're, I don't know, they're spending great deals of, of money on things like, like, you know, $70 water bottles that they've got stickers on and, and, um, Mushrooms that help your thinking. Yeah. And gluten-free, my God, if you eat gluten, I think you're thrown out of the club. So, you know, that's, that's kind of that concept. And, and I just want to have a disclaimer that you're making me very nervous <laughs> by all these stereotypes uh-huh. because that isn't that well, isn't my experience. The one thing that I will say is I do think there's a huge amount of hedonism um, pre- prevalent in this this kind of I don't know if it's hipster or, it, or it's just the culture of the next generations. Um, I think a lot of that comes out of the fact that it's a very fearful time in the world. And the undertow of that is very similar to what we experienced when we were young um, and going through Vietnam and um, and all the killings and the racism sure. and the sexism and the violence. And so I think this drives people to want to find a tribe, but we've forgotten how that works. And I also think it drives people much the same as it drove people to go back to the land. Um, That certain people who are thinking, and I do think that might be the definer right there between the hippie and the hipster, is that hippies tend to be, tended to be quite intelligent people, went to college. Uh, <laughs> you think I was offending people. <laughs> no, I think so. I think they were. And oh, I th- sure, sure, sure. But I think today, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think that lots of people are dumbed down, and it is our culture norm to dumb down the young people today. Uh, we saw that film, uh, Ideocracy, which Idiocracy, is... Idiocracy. Yeah. which is now actually a documentary on our time. And, and I think when you watch that film, you can see the truth of it and where we are today. And so I think a lot of this stuff that you're talking about is, it, is, is the need to feel like I am safe. I got to find some kind of safety. So if I fit in without being terribly hateful, I mean, this is, these are the generations that are coming, which are in a lot of ways, the anti-haters. There is a lot less racism, a lot less, um, uh, 
I don't want to say bigotry, but there's not, definitely not less sexism. But they're, they're working at it. They're trying right. to figure it out. And at least that's better than where we have been for the last 40 years. Okay, so since we've um, basically uh, stereotyped ourselves as old fogies who, um, who are offending everybody, uh, let, me, let me back it away and say I think both every generation, every generation, the younger generation, and we'll say the 20-somethings here, are, are judged poorly by the generations that have come before. And, and there well, you're is, definitely guilty of that. <laughs> oh, for sure. But I judge our generation more harshly than I judge Absolutely. the current generation. Yes. I, I think this current generation, with the exception of the hipsters with their man buns, who I've got no use for. But, <laughs> but anyway, most of them are... are um, you're just jealous because they have longer hair. Yeah, well, okay. That, let's, let's, you're just let's happy go to have that. hair. <laughs> I know, let's go with that. But anyway... Um, you don't like shaved heads either, so no, what's, the, like what's the in-between? Well, they're usually a combination of both, which just gets me. And then put a pork pie <laughs> hat on that, and I'm just, I'm just off of that. So anyway, so, so most of these generations, you know, they're, they're already working under a um, disadvantage of, of being judged by, by their peers. I would say the difference here, you're right, in that saying we're at a culturally disruptive time. And that leads to, you know, some maybe extreme manifestations of, of changing culture within the well, new generation. People are dying. I know, that's the same thing. It's the same issue. But, but then I would say that, um, that this has always been the case. It's just more exaggerated and perhaps more in focus. But the one thing I think that's different today is throw social media on top of it. And now you've got this instant access to everything. You've got widespread communication at the same time of severe isolation within individuals, which is a really weird dynamic. And lots of things that aren't even the truth, which we know that from propaganda in the 50s and 60s and 70s, but not in the same way. But I want to say that the difference, I do feel, you know, when we're growing up, atomic bomb, they're going to kill us. We have to hide under our desks. You know, planes flew over the playground. We were instantly scared. But today, when we talk about the end of the world, it is coming. It's not the same. People are suffering and they're going to suffer a lot more. And so kids are are nervous about that. Well, I remember as a teenager thinking, it's really a shame that the world will not survive until the time I turn 40. Because I was 100% convinced that we would all die in a nuclear war. And and that was a we came true close a few times reality. Yeah. We didn't know it. Well, today's teenager is saying it's really a shame that the planet, through global warming or whatever global climate change, they have that same sense sense of existentialist dread that that their world is coming to an end. And and I would tend to agree. I mean, both scenarios were likely. I think this generation faces. Uh, maybe a slower death, you know, but but it is still very, very real. It's a very real concern, and they don't see society taking the steps necessary to to stop that from happening. Well, that I think is probably the key: is that we are leaderless. In the '60s and '70s, there were leaders. There were people 
who stood up and and fought back and organized people. Even the music world was full of amazing music and protests. And then they were killed. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But let me say that some of them were not killed, and they kept at it, and they were persistent. So, But today, we are absolutely leaderless. Yep. Well, on that happy note, I will tell you that you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warnke. We want to thank our fearless leader, Adam Rich, uh, for producing this. And thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is... Play nice with others, clean up your own mess. And I don't think she thought about the end of the world, so she thought better eat your veggies just eat Till next time. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at blueroxstation.com. Yeah.